0: Today the passage of scripture is going to be in Exodus 20 um, second book of the Bible um, if you're not familiar there's pew few Bibles in front of you and um, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11 it'll also be on the screens too if you don't have a Bible with you Um, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy.
1: Good morning, Church, Saints of all peoples, Saints of Lebanon so good to be with you this morning and to sing with you, it is so good. Well, I want to start us off with a little thought experiment, if you'll indulge it. So imagine, if you would, that you wake up one morning with nothing to do. Your to-do list is empty, you have zero tasks to complete, no work. No burdensome responsibilities. Nobody expects anything of you except perhaps your family or a roommate. The day is totally unscheduled. Your only aim, your only responsibility for the day is to rest with your family and friends and to enjoy the presence of your God. And now, for the sake of the experiment, imagine that your phone is off. Nobody can reach you. You can't reach anybody. What would you do? Would you do something that you love to do but don't normally have time to do, like journal? Take a prayer walk? Would you drink in the creation of God? go sit beneath the clouds, go walk under the trees? Would you spend some unhurried time in your Bible? Would you go on an adventure with your kids or with a friend? Would you try a new recipe or would you read a new book or would you write a poem or would you play the piano? Would you take a nap to the glory of God? (laughs) And now take it one step further and imagine that this reality, you woke up like this one day every week. This was your life one day in seven. I want to submit to you this morning that it can be, not without opposition, not without resistance, but really, And that, in fact, God delights when his people not only work hard, he loves that, but when his people rest hard in Jesus. We're going to be talking this morning about Sabbath rest, which is a little bit unusual uh, in case you're new with us this morning. We don't normally just kind of preach on a topic. We usually go verse by verse through a book of the Bible. So we just finished preaching through the Gospel of Luke after, what, eight years or something? And uh, God willing, very soon we're going to preach through the book of Jonah. I think that's just like two years, so better. But this morning, instead of preaching through a book or even a particular passage, we're going to try to take some. A good chunk of what the Bible says on a particular topic and apply it. And that topic is Sabbath rest. Because in a world like ours, and honestly in a church like ours, where we call each other to do a whole lot of good things, it's good, it can be really helpful to remember from time to time That together we are aiming not only to run hard after Jesus together, but also to rest well in Jesus together. And that the Christian life involves both. It is a rhythmic life, a life with rhythm. Not always the same pace, but a life where you run hard and rest hard. Run hard and rest hard. So here's how we're gonna do this we're going to take a look at three snapshots, three scenes in the Old Testament related to Sabbath rest, and then we're gonna build a bridge from the Old Testament texts and where we are here on this side of the cross, and then we're gonna offer some practical applications for how to embrace Sabbath rest today. So with that, we're gonna start with scene one, which is the beginning, the very beginning. And we're gonna be flipping to several passages, by the way, so you can flip along with me if you'd like. But they may be on the screen as well, or you can just listen, either way. So scene one, Genesis one, it's day four of God's creation. He has already created light, let there be light, and it was light. He's created sky. He has separated the water from the dry land. And now on day four, Genesis 1, verses 14 and 15, we read this. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. In the beginning, God created rhythms. Rhythms. He didn't have to do it this way, but he did. He created day and night. He created month and season. He created year so that in a place like Minnesota, you can look out your window in January and you can look out your window in July and think you're on two different planets. It's a seasonal world that God made, a rhythmic world, where things aren't always the same, but they change. Day gives way to night, weeks give way to month, months to seasons, seasons to years. All of that written in the stars on day four. And then on day seven, God adds another rhythm. This one not written in the stars, but taught by his own example. So Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So now, alongside the rhythms of day and night, month, season, and year, God adds the rhythm of the week. For six days, God worked and he created heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he rested. Why? Why did God do it this way? He really didn't have to. He could have created the earth so that it didn't spin on its axis or revolve around the sun. He could have, if he wanted to, just created one endless work day, 24-7, 365, and created humans who were able to just go, go, go. No need for sleep or slowing down. He didn't make the world that way. Instead, He made the world with a rhythmic dance to it and creatures of dust like us who are limited and finite and easily get tired. And he did this all before the fall, which shows that the rest that we're talking about, the rest that we're seeing here, the rhythms that we saw are not a result of sin. We don't need to rest because we're sinners. We need to rest because we're humans in the good world that God It's not as if the holier you get, the less rest you need. We rest because we are creatures. It's part of what God saw when he looked upon the world at the end of day six and said, this is very good. Rhythms and rest are really good ideas, according to God. And we're going to see more of why that is soon. So that's scene one. Now scene two is very different. We're going to fast forward now many centuries. We're in Egypt now. We're no longer in Eden. Eden is long gone. Beginning of Exodus, Exodus 1 to 11, the people are no longer, the Israelites are not living under the good rule of God in a land like Eden. They're living under the rule of Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh is not like the restful God of Eden He doesn't care about people and their needs. He only cares about productivity and his empire. And so instead of having the rhythms that we see in Genesis 1 to 2, all that we see in Exodus 1 to 11 is an endless series of work days. No week, no month, no season, no year. Work, work, work. Unlike the God of Genesis 1 and 2, who is restful and gives rest, Pharaoh has a kind of single-minded madness for work. So when the people of Israel grow mighty, he sets them to work. And when Moses confronts Pharaoh and says, let my people go, he makes their work harder. And when the people of Israel finally leave, he wonders, how could I have let them get away from their work? And he chases after them. Exodus 5.4 gives a good window into Pharaoh's soul when Moses and Aaron confront him, he says, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the, pa- take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Okay, think about the world that we live in. Obviously, afar removed from Egypt, nobody here is living under the kind of oppression, bondage that the people of Israel were living in under Pharaoh's rule. But I just want you to think in terms of rhythm, rhythms of work and rest. Often, the world that we live in can feel more Egyptian than Edenic, more like Egypt than like Eden, in terms of the rhythms of work and the rest that we walk in. There is a pressure in our society to work, 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 achieve, 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 accumulate, 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 do, 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 be busy, be busy, be busy. Not to mention that many of us have hearts that seem just naturally given in our fallenness to push us in those same directions. Even on our days off from work, many of us can struggle to actually really rest. Some of us steal away to check a few work emails, and we find that for the weekend, our mind is back in the office. Some of us, are so caught up with the American obsession with consumption that we're grasping on our days off and fail to enjoy the gifts that God has already given. Some of us pack our weekends so full, even with good stuff, that we end them exhausted rather than refreshed. Some of us struggle to disengage and disconnect from this thing or other screens, and find ourselves constantly connected, and therefore constantly distracted. There is a blurring of the lines in our world between work and rest. You no longer have to go to the office to make bricks for Pharaoh. You just have to have a Wi-Fi connection. So even when we're not working, our so-called rest often does not look like the seventh day of creation. And if you're sitting there and going like, well, mine does, just bear with the rest of us (laughs) for whom days off can still feel like hard work. I noticed this more than ever when uh, our family first intentionally tried to practice a weekly Sabbath rest. And I looked back on my weekends before at what I thought was rest. I thought I was resting. And I just kind of have to laugh. Because we're not... To we're still pretty new at the whole, like, actually take a day a week and try to set it apart for rest. <laughs> and not all of them go awesome. But, man, it is a deeper kind of rest than I thought the rest that I had on the weekends where I was just kind of, you know, the lines were pretty blurred still. I was still in a pretty rhythmless life. Which makes it really good news that God is the kind of God that he is. Because when God reaches into Egypt and grabs the people of Israel out from Pharaoh's hand. One of the first things he does is restore rhythm. So, scene three. Creation, scene one. Slavery, scene two. Scene three, redemption. In Exodus 12, as God is talking about the Passover with Moses, we find the first mention of months and years again when God tells Israel to celebrate the Exodus annually. And then four chapters later, Exodus 16, we see the first reference to the weekly Sabbath. And then in Exodus 20, we see the fourth commandment. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11, which Ali read for us earlier. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath But for now, just I want to make two observations. Number one, notice how God grounds Israel's Sabbath in his own example from Genesis 1 and 2. The Lord worked for six days and rested for one, therefore you shall. Which shows that when God brought Israel out, one of the things he did was take not only them out of Egypt, but some of Egypt out of them, the work, work, work and he put something of Eden back in its place. One of the things that Sabbath rest is supposed to do is provide a little echo of Eden and a little whisper of the greater Eden that Jesus is bringing us into when he returns. It is a little sanctuary in a world of restlessness that says our God is a God of rest. Notice also the glorious phrase, Command in verse 10, where God says, On the Sabbath, you shall not do any work. Did you know a command could feel so good? Pharaoh did not know how to say that, did he? All that Pharaoh knew how to say was, You shall work. You shall work. You shall work. When God takes his people under his hand, he says, You know what? One day in seven, and for a whole bunch of festivals too. No work. Can you imagine what that would have felt like for a nation of slaves? Lord, you're telling me that on one day in seven, I don't have to work? That you don't need my slave labor like Pharaoh did? That I can just, on this Sabbath day, gather my family and friends around me and say, hey guys, we're not working today. What do you want to do (laughs) we're gonna rest in the name of our God I wonder if this is the God you worship functionally if this is the God you worship or if functionally you relate to God more like a Pharaoh in the sky I confess that I sometimes do resting at times can feel really hard for me I can feel guilty for resting It's hard to take a nap. I just start to itch and think, ah, I should just be doing something. And if you look down deep in my heart in those moments, one thing you will see is that I'm relating to God as if he's more like Pharaoh than he is like Jesus. (laughs) Thank God he is not. And now we get to one of the biggest reasons why God made a world with rhythm, a world with not only work but with rest. It's certainly good for us, but the Sabbath, first and foremost, says something about God. Whereas Pharaoh's endless work demands said, basically, I need slave labor in order to be who I am, God is saying, Israel, I am perfect on my own. I am so full of blessedness and happiness. I'm a fountain overflowing to bless you. I don't need your work. I invite you to come work for me, but I don't need it. And therefore, the Sabbath was one little weekly sermon that was preparing God's people for the gospel of Jesus. Because in the gospel church, God says the same thing I don't need your work. In fact, you cannot be accepted by me on the basis of your work. No matter how much of it you do, you can only be accepted by me on the basis of Jesus' finished work. Our righteousness as God's people does not come from our imperfect, endlessly unfinished work. It comes from Jesus' once for all perfect, complete, finished work. And therefore, the Christian life moves in exactly the opposite direction as the way that this world and our hearts would so often like us to move. We often try to move from work to rest. Work for your identity. Work for your security. Work for your peace of mind. Jesus says, no, rest in Christ, in me, for your identity. Rest for your security. Rest for your peace of mind. And then from that place of deep, deep soul rest, yes, go and work in the strength that he supplies. But all the while, not because you are striving for rest, but because you are striving from rest, the rest that he gives so abundantly. Okay. Break. Those are our three scenes. And now we need to build a little bridge. Because we're not Israelites. We live on a different time and place, in a different covenant, and so we need to just build a little bridge from where Israel was to where we are here on this side of Jesus' death and resurrection. And what I'm about to say is just a little bit complicated, and it's also debated, and so I'd invite you to stick with me, and then if you want to talk about it afterward, feel free. There is disagreement among Christians as to whether the Sabbath is a binding command today on Christians, on the church. Whether the fourth commandment lands on us in the same way it lands on Israel. So there are some people who think that it does, who think that the church is under the fourth commandment, just like Israel was under the fourth commandment. The Sabbath is binding on us the same way it was for them. The Seventh-day Adventists take it even just a step further and say, and it has to be on Saturday which is the seventh day that Israel would have practiced, observed the Sabbath on. So that's some Christians. And then there are other Christians, including myself, who believe that the Sabbath is no longer binding on the people of God in the way that it was in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant. And there are a whole bunch of reasons for, for that that we could go into, but the nub of it comes down to this. The Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, came to Israel under the old covenant. And Christians are not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant in Christ. And even though there is a whole lot of overlap between the commands that come to us in the new covenant and the commands that come to Israel in the old covenant, there's not total overlap. So, for example, uh, Christians don't follow Israel's food laws, we eat lobster and bacon. Some of us do. (laughs) Because we see the food laws, as Jesus taught in Mark chapter 7, that they are caught up and fulfilled in Christ. So there's a smattering of laws like that, that if you trace from Old Covenant to New Covenant, you see their trajectory goes right to Jesus, not so that the church would continue to observe them, but so that they would be fulfilled in him. And I believe that when you trace the Sabbath, you see something really similar, as you see with Israel's food laws. That they are that the Sabbath is caught up and fulfilled in Jesus, who gives us the deepest rest of soul. Everything that the Sabbath was pointing to. So, Colossians 2, 16 to 17, just one place we could look where Paul writes this: Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow. Of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Israel's Sabbath was a shadow of the substance that came to us in Jesus. Come to me, Jesus said, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is our Sabbath. And therefore, I don't think Christians are bound to keep a literal Sabbath. But I do think it would be super wise to consider following a six-in-one pattern, or else I wouldn't be preaching the sermon. But I take the time to talk about this because it's really important to distinguish between the commands of Scripture and wise counsel from Scripture. I'm not aiming to bind your conscience and what I'm talking about today. I am seeking to offer wise counsel, what I think is a good application of the story of the Sabbath we see in Scripture. And I say that because even though we're under the new covenant, even though the Sabbath, I believe, is fulfilled in Christ, we still live under the stars. And they still sing their rhythmic song on day four, always to today. We still are creatures who are limited and of dust Being in Christ doesn't change that. We can still look back to Genesis 1 and 2 and see that even God followed a six in one pattern for our imitation of working and rest. And one of the most crucial reasons, I think, is that we need a weekly sermon where we remember and proclaim that our redemption is complete in Christ. (laughs) And therefore, this day I am going to rest as an act of obedience to him and remember that I rest for my righteousness I don't work for it. And so with that let's talk about what it might look like practically to embrace Sabbath rest. I have three applications for us that are going to form one complete picture and the the image that I want you to have in mind is of a big and beautiful garden. Our aim in these few minutes is to plant a garden of Sabbath rest in your calendar. So, first application. Set a boundary. Or you could say, build a fence. We need to know, have some sense of where this thing begins and where it ends. We need to mark off, have a boundary of some sacred space where good things can grow. And what I mean simply is, pick a time in your calendar ideally a consistent time, that could work as set apart for rest. Build a fence in your calendar around this time with a sign above it that says no work allowed. You can get creative here. It doesn't have to be on Sunday. It can be. Christians throughout history have mostly practiced Sabbath observance on Sunday. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be on any particular day since... We're not bound to the terms of the Fourth Commandment exactly. You can do it on Friday. You can have a day off during your week, perhaps, where you don't work and you maybe normally work on the weekends. You can do it during the week. It doesn't have to be 24 hours, though I think that's ideal. Right now, my family's trying to do it Friday dinner time to Saturday dinner time. It's just time that works really well for us. And then, so you've got a fence in your calendar. You said, okay... Friday, Saturday, dinnertime, 24 hours, or whatever it is, the next thing is to expect a lot of resistance. Build a fence and something will start banging on it. At least, that's my experience. Don't be surprised when you are trying to find a place designed for rest and you find yourself wanting to smuggle some work into it in your pockets. You want to check a few working mails, You want to mow the lawn. You want to do a small house project. Uh, just go get some groceries real quick. Resist. <laughs> God anticipates that temptation. Listen to this from Exodus uh, 34, 21. God says to Israel, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest. Okay, we don't do plowing time and harvest, but these were busy times. If any time it would feel crazy to not work all seven days, it was this time. If there was any time when your livelihood felt like it depended on restless work, it was this time. And God, even here, says plowing time and harvest, lay down the shovel or whatever you use. Lay it down, trust me, and rest. Which means that the excuse, I'm too busy for the Sabbath, doesn't hold much water. The Sabbath is not something you do when you are no longer busy. It is something you do because you're so busy. The Sabbath is one medicine that God gives us to cure an overbusy, inhuman, unchristian life where we try to go at a pace beyond our humanness and beyond our Christianity. The Sabbath is one governor on the speed of life to keep us within the bounds that God made us for. Which is not to say that there should never be exceptions. Okay? Jesus had really hard words, didn't he, for the Pharisees because of how strictly they kept their Sabbath rules and walked by people in dire need. There can be exceptions, but even here, I would counsel that exceptions should be just that, exceptions. They should be in cases of urgent need, and if we find that they're becoming the the rule, then we may need to reevaluate what our sense of urgent really is. So that's the first application, set a boundary. Your boundary is the fence, allowing a certain part of your schedule that allows good things to grow there. And now the second application. You need more than a fence for a garden, don't you? If all you do is put up a fence, you've just organized your weeds. Uh, Like some of those garden beds that I see walking around my neighborhood, which would probably be mine if I tried to garden. It's like someone had a good idea, but it's just kind of, just weeds now. (laughs) So the second application is to weed and to plant. Or in other words, figure out what things you're going to remove from this space and figure out what things you're going to put into it. What weeds are you going to pull? What flowers are you going to plant? And the governing principle here is as much as is possible and wise to remove things that are draining and to plant things that are refreshing. And I get that language of refreshment from Exodus thirty-one seventeen. God says this to Israel. The Sabbath is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel That in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. One of the great goals of Sabbath rest is refreshment. To be replenished by the end of the day, so replenished in body and soul and mind that you are ready to go back into your work, ready to be spent, to spend and be spent for other people. You're ready to work again. Most of life should be work. Part of life should be rest. And by the end of your rest, part of the aim is to be so full of Jesus and full of rest, you're ready. Head back in, dive back in. And this really is a personal process because it's going to differ what one person finds truly refreshing from what another person does. Maybe time alone refreshes you, maybe time with people does. Maybe it feels good to be physically active. Some people are going to want to be less physically active. Maybe it feels good to read a poem on your day off. Maybe that feels like the fastest way to ruin a time of rest. A lot of people counsel that if you work during the week with your mind, then try to rest with your hands. Get outside. Move your body. Or if you work during the week with your hands, then try to rest with your mind. Read a book. Have a deep conversation. All of this needs a couple of caveats. One, because we live in a real world that's not Eden and it does have weeds. And every Sabbath is going to require things that feel like work. Things that feel draining. And some Sabbaths are going to be capsized by that. And it's just going to go super, super bad. That's normal. We live in an Ecclesiastes world. We can't avoid that. And even on the best of them, there's still probably going to be some dishes to wash, or a diaper to change, or whatever, something. That's good. That's right. Second caveat is that not all of us rest alone, rightly so. We have families, some of us, or maybe we try to rest with a friend. And what is restful for some people is not restful for others. So, I, as much as I would love it if my wife and sons wrote down on their list of refreshing activities to play Ultimate Frisbee and to watch Lord of the Rings, they do not find those things restful. <laughs> Something about the orcs. And so, our goal as a family is not necessarily to pursue maximum personal refreshment, which is just going to, you know, result in that, um, but rather Together to figure out what would this look like for our family to be refreshed together and to outdo each other in showing honor and to pursue each other's refreshment by thinking of what would, be, what would bless this other person. And when this works, how sweet it is. The other week, a few weeks ago, Bethany and I were just sitting in the front porch with nothing to do, Friday night, nowhere to be, phones off, try to keep our phones off for the bulk, if not the whole thing. And it just felt like an exhale of the soul. Like, <laughs> I don't think I've exhaled there before. And that's what Sabbath rest, ideally, is supposed to be. Not everyone works out like that. That's the goal. And it is possible. So that's second application. We've, we've built our fence. we figured out what are we going to weed, what are we going to plant. And now the third... There's something crucial missing, the most crucial thing, because there is a stream in the middle of this garden that gives life to everything within. And without this stream, all our attempts to rest are like a well-designed garden that doesn't have water in it. Everything's going to die. There's going to be churning a deep restlessness within that cannot be escaped. And so at the center of this garden of rest is God himself. And therefore, the third application is to worship your Redeemer. (laughs) Because the deepest rest is way more than mental. It's way more than physical. It's way more than emotional and more than relational. It is spiritual between you and your God. Think back then to the Ten Commandments for a minute. Before God gives the fourth commandment for Sabbath rest, he gives the first commandment. Which reads like this Exodus 22 to 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So the Sabbath commandment was always meant to be nestled within an overall life of worship, where the people remembered we once were slaves, now we're free. We're not under Pharaoh anymore. God is our God. We are his people. We worship him. So it's not like you can just take out of the Ten Commandments the Fourth Commandment, practice a few techniques, and find rest for your soul. Rest comes from worship. Rest comes from God. And until we have him, restlessness will be our lot. Or as Jesus fin- famously said it in Matthew eleven twenty eight, already quoted, Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. <laughs> you see, that's the same pattern as the Ten Commandments. There's rest over here, but at the beginning, the entrance into that rest come to me. Come to me. Lay down your burdens. Remember again that I am not Pharaoh, that I have done everything necessary for your righteousness forever. Come to me again and take up my easy yoke. Come to me again. Come away for a little while and rest with me. The work is finished. There is more work for you to do, but not to earn anything. Rather, out of love. Rightly received. The Sabbath is a gift we receive from God. We enjoy through God, and that leads us back to God. God is at the beginning and the middle of the end of this thing. And so... As you seek to practice Sabbath rest, find some way to fill it and surround it with worship. It might mean making Sunday your day because you can do this right at the beginning. It might mean having an extended time of prayer and scripture at the beginning and end of the day. It might mean taking a prayer walk. It might mean having a special time of family devotions like over and above what you do through the week. But either way... Find some way to say, not only with your lips, but with your life and your schedule, Pharaoh is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And he has finished the work. And he is the only stream that gives life to this garden. So we come to him. Let's pray together. What a wonder, Jesus, that you looked upon people like us and us and you said, come. Come to me. You knew what was in us. You know what is in us. You know the wickedness. You know the unbelief. You know the ways we try to work for an identity, try to work and labor and strive, perhaps some of us, in order to feel righteous before you rather than resting in your righteousness. And still you said, come. And so we want to. We want to come to you right now and find rest for our souls. And we want to go into this work week resting in you. Knowing that rest does not ultimately depend on a space in the schedule, but on you. Whether we are on the weekend or during the week. So we give thanks to you. And we pray now for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.